Well, my name is uh, Zach. If we haven't met before, I'm super excited that you're here today. And I'm going to be sharing with you just over the next few minutes, um, just a little bit of update of where we're at um, right now, um, kind of being returning to in-person services and it being November and December's right around the corner. So I'm just going to take a few minutes of your time. And like Eddie said today, and uh, what we're going to hear from Pastor Dave in a few moments, is that we've been talking about um, this concept of being four. Um, for our neighbors, for our community. And we know, as we talked about last week, that God is for us. And that compels us to be for others. So in other words, God's love for us becomes our love for others. And uh, this is just an exciting season um, to be thinking about that, to be thinking about why we exist, why Westside Church is here. And it's incredible to me on Sunday mornings to have the ministry that runs here and also the ministry that runs throughout the week. But we also want to be thinking about how we're practically serving and loving and caring for our community and for our city. Um, and so if you've been f- uh, around Westside for the last little while, you might be familiar with our Be Rich campaign. Um, every November, December, we take a couple of months uh, to fundraise some money and to express extreme and radical generosity. Um, so this year, it's a little different, um, but we're still keeping in touch with this theme of be rich. So I just want to remind you where be rich comes from. It comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. I believe we have it on the screen um, behind me. So it says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. So we've pulled Be Rich out of there, being rich in good works and generous to those in need. So this letter is um, essentially Paul um, mentoring his protege, Timothy, and instructing him in how he should deal with the church in the context that he was in for his time. Um, So as relevant as that was for Timothy in his day in that church, it's still relevant for us to be thinking about how rich we are and how generous we um, can be can be to others and how we can understand that. So let me just ask you a question here. Um, So, uh, sorry, before that question, just want to remind you that generosity, as I just mentioned, was the hallmark of the early church. And they did for those who could give and not give anything in return. So there wasn't an exchange. And it it was just an outpouring of their generosity. So is that how people maybe in your life Um, just think about this, this question. Is that how people in your life maybe see you? Or a fair enough question, is that how people in our community see us as a church? I feel like that's a very challenging question for us to think about. Um, And in the context for us at Westside, and for many of those who I know, um, I believe the answer is yes. I believe um, that does define us. Um, And as I've mentioned, if you've been here for the last couple of years, you know how we um, step up in our generosity to give to others. And those of you sitting in front of me, um, Westside is um, full with some of the most generous people that I know. And so I'm incredibly blessed to know each and every one of you and to journey along um, side of you and make the impact that we can make and the difference that we can make. So um, our mission is to be a generous church and to make this impact in the world around us. So how do we do this? Um, It's looked different over the last couple of years, um, but this year, um, more or less, 
what we've done um, since we've returned in person, and then also what we're looking forward to uh, this coming Saturday, is to partner with a couple of community organizations to get behind them and to really support them um, in, the, in the, the work and the difference that they're making. So we set out to partner with organizations that we believe are doing good things in our, in our city. And so each year we research and align ourselves with organizations that are financially sound, they have good practices, and are doing amazing things in our city. And we look at specifically things um, for what are organizations, what are partnerships we can create that are doing things with children. And uh, who's doing a good job feeding the hunger, fe uh, feeding the hungry and dealing with hunger in Hamilton. Um, so we visited, we've literally knocked on the doors of these places and asked them, how can we help? What can we do for you? Um, so before I introduce the community partners, some of you might be familiar with them, um, some of you might not, maybe it's your first time checking us out, and I'm encouraged, I'm excited for you to learn a little bit more about them. Um, but before we uh, get into that, I just wanted to um, just touch on the series that we're in. So last week we talked about um, who God who is God for? And this whole series calling is called Know Who You're For. So last week we looked at who is God for. Today we are looking at who are we for. And next week, don't miss it, we're going to be looking at who you're for. Um, so in light with this theme, we want to be a church that is for the people in and around our community. And to be more for them than we are for ourselves. Um, and I think this is a very powerful verse from Mark 8.35, where it says... If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, the good news, you will save it. So in other words, when you give your life away, you will find it. So when we, were, when we wanted to be more for them than we are for ourselves, this idea of, of servanthood and self-sacrificing for our community and for our city and for, for others. Um, um, I have um, some videos, quick two videos that we're going to watch back to back. The first one is about Food for Kids Hamilton, and the second one is about Hamilton Food Share. So check these out, learn a little bit more about them, and I'll be back up in just a minute. Let's ask ourselves a tough question. How many people in our country are going hungry? The answer might surprise you. Many families in Canada struggle to put food on the table. In fact, 4 million Canadians experience food insecurity. Over 850,000 Canadians access food banks each month, and among them, 36% are children and youth. No one in Canada should be going without food, most especially our children. Five years ago, Food for Kids asked another tough question. How many children in our own community are going hungry? The answer was shocking. 1,500 children in Hamilton and 450 children in Halton had limited or no access to food each weekend. We wanted to do something about that, and thanks to you, we have. Five years later, and we're now able to provide healthy food packages to over 1,500 children each and every weekend. With our summer feeding program, the very first of its kind in the country, we're able to provide over 600 children with a full supply of healthy food for the entire summer. In total, 53,000 meals have been prepared and delivered annually. 53,000 meals every year that have made the difference between a child eating or going hungry. You did this through your donations, your time, your compassion. We're asking another question today. What now? 
After five years of making a difference in our community, we can look back at the great work that has been done, and yet the job is not finished. The need is still great. In fact, there are 400 children in our community alone who will go hungry this weekend. We need your help to ensure that these children are fed and that Food for Kids can continue to make a difference for the next five years and beyond. Together we can make sure that no child in our community goes hungry. A joint study by McMaster University and the Hamilton Food Share shows that those who use food banks at least once a year earn 40 to 60% less than the average low-income family. They're the ones who make the most of coming to a food bank. They don't have any other things. They don't have any part-time jobs. They don't have any, you know, family supports, those kinds of things. Luckily, the food share is stocked with enough food to stretch from Thanksgiving all the way to Christmas. Because agencies across Hamilton just don't have the capacity to hold this much food, that's where the food share comes in handy, and that's why they have labels for each one of these frozen goods here to send all across the city. Some of that food goes to the Good Shepherd Food Bank on Cannon Street. It looks and operates like a grocery store, except those who use it don't pay a thing. Deborah Neve has relied on food banks for years. Just can't make ends meet. Uh, even when I was working full time, I couldn't. On disability for the past two years, Deborah is an example of generational poverty. We weren't a very um, rich family growing up either. We were very poor. In fact, we relied on secondhand clothes too growing up. So I was kind of used to, you know, not living wealthy as a child also, which is fine. We never it never bothered me and my sister in that a mother of three deborah and many families with children make up a large portion of food bank users the report also shows that despite government help it's still not enough to survive the child tax benefit now it's a very generous benefit that's given to people who are on any kind of assistance although it's generous it's attached to a very low income from our safety net so even if you combine these two incomes together they're still not even anywhere near the poverty line. This Thanksgiving, Deborah will spend time with her three kids and 80-year-old parents, a gathering that just couldn't happen without the food bank. It would be bleak, honestly, yes. I, I tell them every time I leave here, thank you, thank you for what you do for us all, and God bless. The food chair says while many who use their services don't have jobs, there are still people who visit food banks that work full-time or part-time jobs and earn a minimum wage. Another report on how COVID has affected food bank use is in the works. So that's just a little bit about uh, Food for Kids Hamilton and Hamilton Food Chair. That uh, Hamilton Food Chair video was actually from just a couple months ago, just before Thanksgiving. Um, so still really re recent needs, um, current needs. And I just wanted to go over some of the stats that you just saw, because it kind of just all hits you real quick. Um, but we, as we saw in Canada, over 580,000 people across, ac sorry, access food banks a month. So 580,000 across Canada. And Hamilton Food Share says roughly 100,000 people live in poverty across Hamilton. So that's 100,000 people, that's an eighth of Canada in Hamilton living in poverty. But more specifically, um, they have their more accurate numbers for food banks is 13,000 rely on food banks every month to get by. And more than one third are children. 
So these are, these are large numbers. And with Food for Kids numbers, with serving 1,500 kids and youth, they kind of cover that, essentially, that one-third of the kids. Or they represent a lot of that, that number there, um, even though there's still more beyond kids that aren't serviced through Food for Kids. Um, and, uh, yeah, we've, I think we're three coming up four years now supporting Food for Kids every year. And... Um, it's been amazing to see them grow. Uh, they start when they were in under just around 60 schools, elementary schools. Now they have 63 elementary schools, and they've started a high school program. So they weren't in high school high schools a couple of years ago. So there's a huge issue with you know middle school transitioning to high school and those kids leaving the Food for Kids program. But now they're in thir- uh, 10 high schools, so they're doing incredible things. They're growing, and we love to be able to offer our support to them every year. Um, so a couple weeks ago in Halloween, we started essentially our fundraising for that. And it was awesome. Within a two-hour event, we raised $270. And then um, the following weekend, somebody stepped up to match it. So you heard about that last week. So we had uh, $540 at the end of Halloween. And then with donations last week, we're now at $660. Um, I think I have a slide for you. So how we're doing uh, Food for Kids is through, uh, the next one, is through TipTap. So TipTap, we have these devices of making an instant donation of 5 or $10. We had that during Halloween, we had that last week, and we have it in our lobby today, and we're going to do it for the rest of the year. Um, we just want to keep the momentum going. We want to see how much money we can fundraise. And the increments we pick of 5 or $10 is because roughly 5 uh, sorry, roughly 10 to $15 feeds one kid for the weekend. Um, so I challenge you from those of you already given, thank you so much for expressing that. For those of you who would like to tap after the end of the service or next week or ongoing weeks, we're going to have that available for the end of the year. And we're excited to see what kind of goal um, that we can set and accomplish and be able to give them um, over Christmas. And uh, and for Hamilton Food Share, so you can go back to that image with... Uh, from Easter, um, I just guys want this is just a little mental picture here. This was from April, our, our Easter food drive earlier this year, and what you see there, there's I think we had roughly 25 boxes from Hamilton Food Chair. We stacked those full. We have three barrels full of candy, uh, barrels full of food, and more. And all of that that you see there, that mental picture, take a snap. It was. It was a thousand pounds of food that we were able to donate in the spring. So that's half a ton of food that you guys brought to the church in two hours that we were able to drop off. So this coming Saturday on uh, November 20th, we're running another very similar food drive in our parking lot. Um, But our goal is to double it. We want to see 2,000 pounds come in. So that's one ton of food for Christmas. And, uh, and we're excited for this. Um, we got everything ramping up for this coming Saturday, two hours, 10 to 12 p.m. Um, there's so many ways that you guys can be involved in this. You can drop off food. Um, you can volunteer. Please talk to me at the end of the service if you'd like to volunteer during the event uh, to unload cards, uh, cars, to uh, stack in boxes. And then we also need delivery drivers to drive to Hamilton Food Chair next Saturday to drop it all off. Um, so come talk to me if you want to get involved. Um, there's so many ways that you can help to make a difference, um, but also just to, to visit us and to give those food donations. Um, you got this card 
uh, is on the seat when you sat down, just information about our event, and on the back we have our, a list of most needed items. So take a look through that if you're at the grocery store this week. Pick up a few things, and, um, and also take this, um, give it to somebody, give it to a neighbor. We have extra cards on the table when you walk out. Take a stack, go up and down your street. If you live in an apartment, slide them under the doors. Let people know about this. Let them know that they can come to our church this Saturday uh, to support a good cause, to be for community, to give back. And, uh, and food banks are desperate right now. And we're ramping up to the Christmas season and we just wanna bless um, Food for Kids, but also um, the Hamilton Food Share as well. So that's my challenge to you guys. Um, we're excited, we're ramping up to Christmas. And um, we're really looking forward to this. I just want to end with uh, this one final last thought. is um, In a hypercritical and cynical world, one that is often known for what it's against, I want to challenge you guys to be a group of people known who and what we are for. Well, for a few minutes today, I want to walk us through a meditation. The truth is that most of us have had very few, if any, quiet moments this week because we live busy lives. We live loud lives. It looks different for all of us. Some of us, it's because work is just crazy. There's a lot of demands. There's a lot of things that demand our attention and for us to, to make sure that we're working on problems that we have to solve. Perhaps uh, there are, are people, coworkers, uh, employers who are demanding a lot from you, and that takes a lot of your headspace and a lot of what you think about. And maybe even physically it's loud. There are people who are asking for things from you. For some of us, it's school and the demands of our schoolwork and our studies and trying to, to get all the knowledge crammed into our brains that we need to get crammed into our brains. For some of us, it's, it's just we're at home with kids maybe a lot of the time and, and uh, our, our kids demand a lot from us. So for so many of us, it, we just live loud lives. We live busy lives. And if it's not all the demands of school or work or home, we also have plenty of devices to make sure that we're distracted. We have our laptops, we have our phones, we've got podcasts, we've got Instagram, we've got TikTok, we've got all sorts of things to make sure that there's always something on in the background, that there's always something for us to focus on, to flip through, to scroll through. Others of us have a really different existence. We actually have, physically speaking, very quiet lives. But perhaps in those quiet moments, the things that we're dealing with is, is something that's loud inside of us, loud feelings, feelings of maybe loneliness or loss or grief or guilt. Today, what I'd like us to do in the remaining moments of our service is just to slow down and to have some quiet moments. And here's what I'm hoping, here's what I've been praying for, for us collectively today, whether we're here in the room, whether we're online, is that as we facilitate those moments of quiet, of reflection, of contemplation, that God would speak to us. And actually what I believe is that God always wants to speak to us. Not always exactly in the way that we would expect or that we desire him to. Not always in a booming voice. Not always very clearly or speaking to the exact issues that we might be asking him to speak into. But I believe that on a regular basis, God wants to speak to us. He wants our attention. And the more that we can quiet our hearts and our minds, the more that we can quiet our environment, 
and to actually focus on him, the more we'll hear from God. The more we'll find out that actually he is ready to speak to us. So that's my hope for today. And I want to walk through a little bit of a, a meditation, some verses, some things that Jesus taught to connect them to the themes that Zach's already talked about. Uh, and, and Zach kind of walked us through last week. We talked about, for God so loved the world, that God is love, that that is the starting point. And he has loved the world so much that it thrust him into action to send his son into this world. And that it's his love that we receive. I don't believe there's a way for us to truly receive that love. I mean, honestly, authentically, really receive that love without it turning outwards. That is what will happen. And so for us to think about what it looks like in this next week to partner with Food for Kids generously or Hamilton Food Share during our food drive, what does it look like for us to really grasp the love of God and have it move outwards? Last week, as we started this series, one of the things that I told you is that I actually believe that the last two months of the year, November and, October, and December, uh, can be, and I think will be, two of the months that we see the biggest impact in our communities. So this next week, we're participating, as Zach has very clearly laid out, in our Be Rich campaign to, to address some practical needs in our cities. Next week, we're going to also start talking to you about the Christmas season, which is coming up pretty, pretty quickly. And we have this opportunity to share the love of God in very practical ways with the people around us. And we're going to create some opportunities and some environments for us to bring our families and our friends and our neighbors uh, to celebrate Christmas with us and to hear about the God who for so, he for so loved the world that he sent his son. We celebrate at Christmas. But in order for us to do that, so important for us to always be reminded and immersed in the love of God. I get it. Like we, we can talk about oh, God loves us in such a way that we say it so often that it can almost lose its meaning. And so for us to have those moments where we quiet ourselves to hear from God on a deeper level and to allow him to speak into us, maybe more specifically, maybe in ways that we hadn't expected to those deep areas of our lives. And again, that's what I'm hoping we can do today. And I'm hoping that you'll carry into your week with you as well to maybe create some of those moments for yourself. In John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus said this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How will people know that we follow Jesus? That that's our spiritual journey, that that is our goal, that that's our identity, who we are deep down is that the love of God uh, makes us who we are as disciples of Jesus, they will know when you love one another. Could have been anything. Could have been a huge list of things because you believe all these things because you do this, because you do that, because on Sunday mornings you show up to a certain time and a place because the songs that you sing, because of the... But Jesus says that they will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He actually calls this a new commandment. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. The problem with that is it's not a new commandment. Not a new commandment for us. This is the first time anybody's heard you should love other people? I don't think so. It wasn't a new commandment for Jesus. As a Jewish man, in his context of the Jewish Bible, you can read about that in a number of different places. But right in the law of God, places like Leviticus, you read, love one another. 
It's not new. So what is it that Jesus is saying is new? Well, I think if you read the context, and here in John chapter 13 and verse 14, it's kind of a long discourse where Jesus is teaching his disciples about who he is, what he's doing, and what they're supposed to be doing. What is it that is new in this commandment to love? I think one thing is the standard. Jesus is saying, love other people as I have loved you. And he is teaching them that he is laying down his life for them. The standard is new. And so Jesus doesn't say, here's going to be the mark of somebody who follows me, that if you have a little bit extra lying around, a little bit extra time, a little bit extra money, maybe if you have some things rotting in your cabinet, then you can take your extra and show up and give it to somebody in need. That's nice. That's a good thing to do. But Jesus' standard is, I am going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to give everything for you. The standard isn't just being a kind person. That's great. That's a good start. But a self-sacrificing person, a love that says... I will give up my entire self for you. This is my mission. This is my purpose. This is my entire being. This isn't just an add-on. It's not what I do with my excess. This is a core part of our being that we love one another. It's also, if you read these verses, these chapters in John chapter 13 and 14, it's also a reflection of the relationship of love that exists between the Father and Son. Jesus being the Son to his Father, to God, saying this is what it looks like to be unified with God, to be in such deep relationship that his love becomes my love, that his love lives in me so deeply that I can love in this way, to this standard, to this self-sacrificing way. Because let's be honest, when I've said that, that that standard, when I've said, hey, the standard is Jesus giving him entire self, and then he teaches us to love the way that he loves, that should probably cause you some, some form of angst. Part of you that says, I don't know if I can do that. That requires too much of me. That's a sacrifice that I don't know that I'm willing to make, practically speaking. We probably should all have that in the back of our mind because there's things that we want to hold on to. And so we get a little troubled by that when we realize Jesus is saying, so I'm going to die for the people that I love. Now I'm calling you to come and do the same. We heard a verse this morning already that that Zach read about if you want to find your life, you have to give up your life and you go, that is troubling. So here's our first question for reflection today. What's troubling you? You know, when you think of giving your entire life in love, what's stopping you? What holds you back? I don't know if I could sacrifice this thing. I don't know if I could go that far. I don't know if I, maybe your, your fear is, I don't know if I have enough to be that generous. But what, what is it specifically? Give some voice to it in your own mind that troubles you, that gives you angst. Maybe there's a certain amount of guilt in your life that's holding you back from really expressing love. Maybe there's things that are inside of you that you would go, this doesn't line up with what it looks like to be a loving person. I've got some anger there. I've got some jealousy. I've got some hurt. I've got some resentment. And it's nice to say that God wants us to love, but some of those things are holding me back. So the second part of the question is, what do you need to rethink or surrender? An aspect of your life, you say, man, I, I have to do something different here. This is not working. This is not helping me to be a loving person, a generous person. What is it that maybe you're holding on so tight to that's holding you back from really expressing the love of God? Again, it might be fears that you don't have enough. It might be uh, anger toward, or resentment towards a certain group of people. I don't know if I want to give to them or share with them and really show practical love to them because those people are... are You know, they're different than me, or they think differently, they act differently. Maybe they're people that have hurt you in different ways. So what's in you in the quiet moments? By the way, if you're uncomfortable with quiet moments, join the club. 
Most of us are, and it's because of this question, because when we get quiet, when we don't have distractions, there are things beneath the surface that are troubling us. Anxiety, grief, worry, anger, jealousy, discontentment. What is it that's stealing your peace? Think about that for a second. Don't be scared of it. I don't think it's an accident that a few verses later, Jesus says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Because in quiet moments, sometimes we realize the trouble that's beneath the surface. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. That word better than belief maybe is trust. Okay, so now we're going to go through some, some uh, struggle in our life and we're going to do some, some self-examination and we're going to find some things that we're worried about or that shouldn't be there, things that we struggle with. And Jesus says, trust in God. This is a safe place for you. Safe place for you not to be perfect. Safe place for you to be worried. Safe place for you to be grieved. Safe place for you even to be guilty. And Jesus says, trust me. Trust me with all of that. All of the things that in the quiet moments are troubling you. Jesus says, trust me. Trust me. I heard uh, a pastor this week named Steve Carter. He said this, a life anchored in Jesus has nothing to prove, nothing to lose, and nothing to hide. Isn't that beautiful? See, we start by asking, what's troubling me? What's wrong deep down under the surface? And then we realize that Jesus is love, that Jesus is gracious, that Jesus is forgiving, that Jesus is even gentle. He says, come to me. Trust me. Trust me with all of that. And this is what we find, that when you anchor your life in Jesus, these things are true. There's nothing to prove. You don't have to prove yourself. You say, oh, but I'm not perfect. I haven't earned it. Good, because that's not how it works with Jesus. He's gracious. He gives you gifts. You don't work for them. You have nothing to lose because Jesus provides everything for us. Everything that we need. We think today about providing for other people who are in need. We start from a place where God says, and Jesus says, trust me, I'm giving you everything that you need. Physically, I'll provide everything that you need. Emotionally, come to me. Trust me, I'll provide everything. Spiritually, come to me. I'll provide you everything that you need. There is nothing to lose. You say, what if I lose all my money? What if I lose my home? What if I lose my car? What if I lose the things that are so precious to me? And Jesus says, come to me. And if you lose everything, I'll make sure that you have what you need. And you can't lose me. And there's nothing to hide. Because in a moment we'll see that the spirit of Jesus is the spirit of truth, the spirit of reality, we might say. That we come to him with nothing to hide, as is open, vulnerable, naked. That's where God meets us. Jesus says, trust me. Trust me. It'll be okay. And so there is a moment today, perhaps for you, for all of us, of repentance. What do I need to rethink in my life? Fears, guilt, inadequacies, to truly lay them down and surrender. To ask God to come into those places, to abandon them to him. Some of those things we call sin, the things that are keeping us from God. We say, I'm going to rethink this. This, this needs to go from my life. So we ask for forgiveness and we ask God to take the places uh, that we have, have given to some of the things that perhaps are not meant to be as important to us as they are. John 14, 15, Jesus says then, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This comes back to the theme that we started with where Jesus is saying, uh, this is what my disciples are all about. They'll know you're my disciples when you love. That uh, if we really love, love will lead to obedience. Love leads to love, receiving love 
leads to giving love. So I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus says, I will give you another helper. He's, uh, he's speaking about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God living inside of us uh, to empower your life. Helper is one translation. Sounds a little bit like subordinate though, like, oh, this is my assistant over here. And we go, that doesn't make a lot of sense about what God is, uh, although helper is an accurate translation. But maybe a better translation is an advocate. An advocate is somebody who fights for somebody else, somebody who's in need. One way that people translate this is like a defense attorney. So somebody, if you're in court, somebody who's going to go to battle for you on your side. But maybe even a deeper way of looking at this advocate is, is somebody who fights for you, just not just in a legal sense, but in all areas of your life. So I think of my wife. My wife's a teacher. She works with kids who have special needs. Her job is to advocate for kids who need help. And so uh, all day long, she talks to principals and superintendents and, and, and psychologists and counselors. And, and what she does is she goes out and she finds resources for kids that need resources. And she advocates for those kids to make sure that they get what they need, that, that they get uh, the, the support that they need from professionals, from uh, the technology that they need, for assistance in classrooms. Whatever these kids need to thrive and to get ahead is what she advocates for. Well, we have an advocate. I will give you an advocate, somebody who's going to fight on your behalf, somebody who's going to empower your life. And this advocate will be the spirit of truth. Or as I said before, the spirit of, of reality, what, what actually is. Not this pretentious truth that says, oh, and then I'll know all the answers to everything. More like the spirit uh, that brings integrity, wholeness to our lives, connects us with what's real. So forget all the stuff that uh, the show that we put on, uh, the airs that we put on, the, the, the outer stuff that we're trying to impress everybody with and, you know, whatever it is, titles, or money, flashy clothes, flashy cars, all that kind of stuff. But here's the spirit of truth, the one who leads us back to reality, back to what is true, back to what is love, the God of love. And we have an advocate that will fight for us to make sure that we have everything that we need in order to do that. And then this powerful statement says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because neither sees him or knows him. I love this quote from... Um, from D.A. Carson, he says, profoundly materialistic, the world is suspicious of what it cannot see. This is true, right? The world can't see. Why? Because we are often so focused on what we can see, what we can feel, what's flashy, what we, you know, with our senses right now. What's obvious? Well, less obvious, but even more true is the presence of God inside of us. You know him. Listen, the world, and when it talks about the world, we talked about this last week. It's not just talking about, oh, there's bad people out there. It's the systems of the world that are just so materialistic, that are just looking on the surface, right? But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Wow. Will be in you. Where do we find God? Where's the location of God? Up on a cloud somewhere? Way out there in the universe somewhere? He will be in you. Where will I find God? Where will I find peace? Where will I find direction? Where do I go with the stuff inside of me that brings me angst? 
He will be within you. He's in you. Where are we find? When you leave this place, do you find him just in this room? I hope you'll have a moment in this room where you experience God. But he is in you as you go out. Everywhere you go. Which is why we come today to try and facilitate some quiet moments so that we can pay attention to he who is within us. Our advocate, our spirit of truth, the God of love who has given everything for us. So that we can go out and give everything for others. So here's a next round of questions. And these are, as we have some quiet moments in just a second, things I'd love for you to think about. In the quiet moments, we talked about what is troubling you, to surrender that to God. And then what do you perceive the advocate is saying to you? The spirit of truth. Or in other words, where do you perceive that God is working in your life? I bet this, if you'll look, you'll find God's already at work in your life. He's in you. It's all around us. He's available. He's accessible. In the quiet moments, when you turn everything off, and you just listen to him, surrender your troubles, your worries, your anxieties, your sin, your guilt, what do you perceive that the Spirit of God, the advocate, the one fighting for us, is saying to you? Do you have an answer to that question? Maybe after today you will. Maybe this week you'll start to just hear those impressions. Maybe it'll be scriptures that come out. Maybe it'll be words that we sing in certain songs or that you'll sing later this week in in your own time. But what is God speaking to you? And where do you see God already at work in your life? Perhaps that he's calling you to join him in. A life anchored in Jesus is also empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it's profound. If we'll pay attention if we'll go below the surface. So uh, we're going to have just a few minutes of quiet. I know this is going to be uncomfortable for some of us who aren't used to it. Just going to be some quiet music and just a few minutes. And I just want you to think about those questions. What's troubling you? What's troubling you? Can you trust Jesus with it? What's God speaking to you today? What is he saying to you through maybe some verses that we've read today? Maybe he's saying, trust in me. Trust in me. Maybe he's saying you're forgiven. Maybe he's saying you can do it. Maybe he's calling you to reconciliation. I, I, don't want, I don't want to presume to know what that is, but will we listen to him? In a couple of minutes, I'm going to come back up and we're going to take communion together. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you'll need to participate in this. But uh, if you are and you'd like to do this, this is a way that we remember the death of Jesus Christ, that he gave himself in love for us. And so uh, you'll find in the, the chair, below the chair in front of you, there's uh, a little cup of juice uh, with a wafer on top of it. And I'll, I'll come and explain this in a minute. Uh, again, if this is uncomfortable for you, you're not ready for this, you're not a follower of Jesus, we just invite you uh, to continue to do this contemplation But you don't need to participate in that part. But if you are a follower of Jesus, I'm going to come up in a minute. I'll give you instructions. And we're going to take the bread together and be reminded that Jesus gave his body strength for the journey. I don't know if I can love that way. I don't know if I can surrender that much. I don't know if I can give them. Jesus says, I'll give you everything that you need. And then we'll drink the juice together a few minutes after that. The joy of forgiveness. We take this, this cup represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for us for forgiveness of sins. The joy that whatever we're guilty of, God says, trust me, I'll forgive you. Nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide. Safe place. So take the next uh, just three minutes or so in quiet reflection. Do whatever you need to do in your heart and your mind to be with God and hear these words. Jesus saying, peace I leave with you.
My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. If you want to grab uh, this little cup, again, it's in the chair, the cage uh, underneath the chair in front of you. And if you're at home and you want to pause this video and you can, you can go and get a, a bite of bread or cracker and some grape juice or wine if you'd like to, you're welcome to do that. And uh, if you're here in person, there's two tabs. On the top, there's a clear one and you can peel that back and there's a little wafer that you can take. I'd like you to hold it in your hand. Jesus gives us very tangible symbols to make sure that we know how real his love is. You just hold that bread in your hand and just think about the fact that God loves us so much that he sent his son into this world, willing to give up his life, willing to surrender himself. He was arrested, mocked, beaten, and nailed to a cross. That's love give himself that much. So when he told his disciples and indirectly told us then uh, to take the bread and said, this is my body, which is given for you. It's this profound symbol to say, I love you that much. He says, eat it, feast on it, feast on it. This is your spiritual food. This is my body. You feast on this love. You feast on this sacrifice. Let it nourish your soul. This is the shape of the universe. God's love no matter what the world looks like to us. Remember he said, the world doesn't so clearly see the Holy Spirit, but we are going to look deeper. Spirit of truth. The Apostle Paul writes, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. We'll take the cup now. And perhaps one of the things that's troubling you is some guilt, some things you know in your life that need to change. Jesus didn't just give up his body, but then as he hung on the cross, he bled until he died. Such love. The blood is our life force. We need it. All the nutrients for life in it. Oh, so today we take this cup and as we drink it, we're reminded of the forgiveness. It brings everything that we need. Nothing to lose, nothing to prove, nothing to hide. So if you're in the room, feel free to open that up. And uh, if you're at home, to, to grab uh, the cup that you have as well. Again, the Apostle Paul said, in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new agreement of our relationship to last forever. This is the stipulations right here, his blood. So do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. And uh, we're going to finish this song, just sing for a couple of more minutes. And I'll invite you to do whatever you need to do 
to keep the, the quiet in your heart moment going, uh, to continue to reflect on perhaps what God is speaking to you today, to reflect on the body given for us, the blood shed for us, to reflect on the spiritual food that has been provided for us, the joy of being restored to relationship with God, the celebration that that brings. And you can do whatever you want. You can remain seated. You can stand up and sing. You can do whatever you want. We'll close our service in just a minute um, with that. But, but uh, please continue uh, to do the business you need to do with God today. And I pray that we would go out later uh, with that same mindset, with that same uh, awareness in our hearts of God's presence. It's in you, in us. So Heavenly Father, we gratefully express our worship to you and our thanks for Jesus, who not only said that in order to find your life, you would lose it, but to the one who lost his life to give us ours. We're grateful for the cross. We're grateful for the depiction of love that we see in it. So costly, so sacrificial, so real and authentic. We're grateful for the forgiveness of sins, which we humbly ask for and receive today. Now, God, I pray that in these moments, we wouldn't just have one or two more moments of, of quiet reflection, but that as we go out, we would become more and more aware of your presence in our lives, that we would tune in to what you're speaking to us, what you would have for us as individuals and families and as a church community. And God, we pray that the, love, the, the result would be love, reconciliation, forgiveness, grace, pouring out of us into the world around us. And when we see that, and when we experience it, we'll always turn back to you, give you all the thanks and glory. Because you are love.